This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. Some of those are headlines we'd like to forget, right? Yeah, for sure. Welcome to church. My name is Ron, and uh, like Kevin, I'm part of the pastoral staff here, and certainly would want to welcome you if I haven't had a chance to meet you on the way in. I'll be hanging out in the lobby uh, as we dismiss later, and uh, I would love to get to meet you personally, especially if this is your first time here. Um, Let me say a couple of things um, just kind of to help you feel welcome and so you kind of know what to expect. I'm going to speak to you over the next few minutes uh, out of the Bible about some really important things. If you didn't bring a Bible, that's okay because we're going to project the Bible up on the screens and so everybody can read from it. And uh, so uh, hopefully everyone can be fully engaged. On the inside of your program, you will find a half sheet of notes. It's fill-in-the-blank style. If you come here often enough, you'll soon learn that everything I do is fill-in-the-blank style. So uh, just kind of get used to that, enjoy it, and it'll help you learn as we walk through what we're going to do. And uh, this is a wonderful morning of learning at New Life. Every Sunday we work on very, very practical aspects of life. And uh, certainly this morning would be a wonderful example of that. Uh, We're uh, wrapping up a sermon series called Staying Afloat in a Sinking Economy. And uh, this morning I'm very excited to be able to bring to you uh, some wonderful, wonderful principles from God's Word about how to do that. In fact, we're going to talk about how to navigate that channel and uh, so I just want to welcome you into that process, and, um, and if you have any questions, then you can hang around afterwards, and I'll be out in the lobby working through, um, you know, just meeting with people, and you can ask whatever questions that you want to ask at that particular point. Now, I want to talk to you for just a minute about a channel, uh, because you know, we're using a boating analogy, and if you've ever been on a boat, and, and, and uh, you've ever sat or stood by the captain and the captain is navigating the channel, I know that you've at least been curious enough to say, how do you know where you're going? Because, you know, when you look at the surface of the water, it kind of all looks the same. If there's a rock sticking up out of the water, you, you can figure that out. Well, I don't think that's probably a good place to go. But on the other hand, the rest of the water, if it doesn't have something sticking up out of it, it, it kind of all looks the same, and yet there is a channel in there somewhere, if it's a navigable river or if, a, or if it's a bay, like the San Francisco Bay. It's very important that the captain knows how to navigate that channel because the channel is hidden. You can't see it with your naked eye. I want you to understand that the financial channel of life is just like that. It's not real obvious to the naked eye. If it was obvious, guess what? No one here would be in debt, and we would all be sitting really well financially. If it was obvious, everyone would be doing it. But that's why it's a channel. It's not obvious to the naked eye. I want to give you a principle to go along with that, and that is when the water's low, the danger is even greater. Yeah, when the water is low, when the economy is sinking, the danger is even greater. And I want to tell you a true story. We have 
a guy in the church who's a great fisherman. Very experienced, got his own boat, been out on the, on the water more times than you could ever count. Uh, often goes down to San Francisco Bay and fishes in the bay. Well, as the story goes, there was a rookie in the church who wanted to go fishing. So he said, well, come along, I'll take you fishing. So they got, they got to the house early in the morning. They went down, they got their bait, they got all the stuff together, they got the boat all ready, jumped in the car, drove down to the bay, uh, got the boat in the water, got all the bait and everything, and, and uh, went out and he navigated the channel and got them right to one of his favorite fishing spots. And they got the, they got the lines in the water and they got the talking and having a great time. And, and uh, more time passed than they actually realized. And he glanced at his watch and went, oh, no. And the rookie said, oh, no, what? The tide's out. We can't get back. What do you mean we can't get back? We're at a place, we're surrounded by sandbars. It's a great place to fish. But you know, when the water's up, you can go in and out of it. But when the water's down, you can't get out. So they waited out the tide. Now, here's an important lesson. When the waters are low, there's a whole lot more danger than when the waters are high. And so one of the keys to staying afloat in a sinking economy is recognizing that right now when the waters are low, there's a lot more danger. Now, I want to be truthful with you about recent times that we've come through. And I'm not talking about the last two months. I'm talking about the last five to ten years. For the last five or ten years, the financial waters, especially here in Northern California, were high. They were really high. And many of us bought houses, and we bought our houses at $150,000, and maybe even $300,000 and we watched that house, the value of the house, go up and up and up. So guess what we did? We refied. Right? And we took a bunch of money. And guess what happened? It kind of covered the multitude of our sins. Now, I, now I understand that I'm getting really close to home. You see, when the waters are high, there's a lot of margin for error. But boy, when the waters go down, all the margin for error is gone. And that's where we find ourselves. And that's why I'm so excited to be able to bring you this message this morning. Because I'm going to talk to you about how to navigate the financial channel of life when the water's low. When the waters are high, anybody can. You can make mistakes everywhere. Go refi your house, pay them off, and start all over again. And some of us... Maybe many of us have done that several times in the last 10 years. But let's talk about how to stay afloat in a sinking economy when the water is down. Some wonderful principles. I'm only going to give you three this morning, but they're kind of broad and they're going to have uh, very specific applications in our life. So let's take a look at what the three processes are that all good, successful financial managers use even in their home life. And the first one is this. You're going to start with first things first. Honor God with the full tithe. And right away you're going to say, 
wouldn't I? You know when I come to church, that's the first thing they talk about. Just for a minute, I want you to set that aside. I want to talk to you for, for a minute about this. Honoring God with a full tithe, in other words, and by the way, in the margin right next to tithe, I want you to write this number, 10%, because that's exactly what a tithe means. That's, that's what it is by definition. Now, why would God ask us to honor Him with a full tithe? Well, I wanted to bring you a pie chart this morning. But then I thought, why should I bring you a pie chart when I could bring you a pie? Wouldn't it be better? And I'm thinking, who better to bring a pie than Martha Stewart? But she wouldn't come. So we got the next best thing. Take a look. (laughs) Welcome to Angela Stewart Living. With today's economy, it's as important as ever to stay on top of our spending. But as we become more and more preoccupied with our bills, it can become harder and harder to invest in God's economy. One helpful tip is to put God first in our lives. But how can we do that with our finances? Well, let's give it a try. Now, we all love pie. So let's take a look at how we can cut up our financial pie. Most of us don't take the time to decide how we want to divvy up our pie. So we tend to start cutting as needs arise. So we cut our first piece and let's call this our mortgage or our rent. It's a sizable piece, but we got a great interest rate. So we cut that up and we're gonna serve that onto the side. There's our mortgage. Next, we have our car payment. But the great news is we look great in our car. So we happily take that piece out. And, you know, maybe you've done some shopping and so you have some credit card bills. Well, that's not nearly as fun, but the shopping was great. And so we cut that piece out. And then kids and all their activities and all the birthday party gifts and everything else. And man, they are expensive. And so we cut that out. But we love them. So that's not so bad. Let me put that over here. Next, you've got utilities. And that's a hefty piece, but we like being warm in the winter and cool in the summer. And so we cut that piece out. And then we want to save some, some retirement, some rainy day savings, that kind of thing. And look, we've divvied up our financial pie and we're all taken care of. Oh, wait, we forgot God. We have to give something to God. So what we tend to do is give God our leftovers. So how can we put God first in our lives? Well, first, we take our whole pie. And the first thing we do is we cut out 10%. Thank you, God, for this pie. Thank you for blessing me. It's not mine. It's yours. It's my honor to bless you with this 10%. This teaches me to prioritize my entire life and arrange it around God. It also builds my faith in him because by giving to him first, 
I trust him and I'm building my faith in him. You see, 90% with the blessing of God will go farther than 100% without. 90% with the blessing of God will go further than 100% without. Seems crazy, but it works. Here's the deal. It takes faith to give to God first. This is the same thing that God did with us. You see, while we were still sinners, he gave his son for us. He came in faith before we ever accepted him. Now, if we give God our leftovers, it doesn't require faith. Are you still not convinced? God gave us a challenge and a promise when he said in his word, Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing you will not have room enough for it. That's how good God is. And you can take that to the bank. You know, kind of for the first point, we could just kind of close up shop and go home. There there you have it right there. 90% with the blessing of God will always go further than 100% on your own. Now, I want to give you five, and I'll move through them rather quickly, but I want to give you five reasons why God asks us to do that. Because if, if you know anything about God, you would know this. God would not ask us to do that if there wasn't something in it that would be good for us. So let's take a look at five reasons why God says, I want you to bring the full tithe, not just one or two percent or whatever I feel like, not just the leftovers, but actually what God asks. Number one is this. It's important for me to do that because it reminds me that he's the real owner of everything. And God truly is the real owner of everything. Now, because I can't see him and because God asks me to go out and work and earn a living because that's part of being a human being, it's very easy for me then to assume that I actually own things, that they're really mine. But the Bible teaches us very clearly, in fact, let me read you these two verses. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. That would include you, that would include me, and that includes everything in my garage. Okay? The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all of its people belong to Him. And then Paul writes to Timothy and says, listen, we brought nothing into this world and what? We can take nothing out of it. As an old pastor one time said, I'll tell you something you've never seen in your life, and that's a hearse with a U-Haul. just doesn't happen. You're not going to take it. You are leaving it all here. That's how life works. It's ours to use only for a while during our lifetime. And the great thing is, if we manage it well and we do with it what God has designed for us to do with it, it becomes a blessing to us It becomes a blessing to other people, and in the process, we become a blessing to God. But when we get selfish with it, and we think it's all mine, and I can do with it whatever I jolly well please, and we manage it selfishly, it becomes a curse to us. You know anybody that money is a curse to? You know any people who fight over inheritances? You know any people who are enslaved by debt? and just barely able to squeak by? You know any marriages that have broken up over money? You see, we get selfish with it. It doesn't become a blessing. It becomes a curse. So God knows right up front, the first thing that we need to know and understand is that it actually all belongs to Him anyway, 
And one of the ways that we get reminded of that is whenever we, whenever we get paid, we take that first 10% and we give it to God and we say, okay, God, in doing this, I recognize that actually 100% is yours. And I, and, I, and I honor that. The second reason is this. Because it helps us set and keep proper priorities in life. If there's anything I know about human beings, about myself, it's so hard to keep my priorities where they belong. It's real easy for me to go to a seminar or come to church and hear a message and boy, all of a sudden, you know, all the priorities get straight. Then going home and living that out, that's a whole lot harder. It's just this morning I was visiting with a couple of guys and, and, and I said, have you ever noticed that other people's problems are way easier to solve than your own? It's obvious, man. Just do this. And yet, when that same problem comes into our life, it's so much harder for, for, because then we see the whole problem as it is. We struggle with priorities. Now, I want you to see what God says in His Word. The purpose of tithing is to what? To teach you always to put God first. Underline and circle the word first. That's why we brought you that video illustration because all too often it's easy to divvy up the whole pie and whatever's left over, if there's any left over, well, we kind of throw that God's way and say, you know, hey, hope, hope you can do something with that. Yeah. Now, the third thing is this. Because it enables us to experience the joy of generosity. We're entering the Christmas season, and it's one of those times during the year when I think when we get it right, it's a great season. When the season of Christmas is about getting it's not a whole lot of fun. When the Christmas season is about giving, it's a whole, a whole lot of fun. You know what I've learned in my life? And you can just kind of write this down in the margin. The greater the sacrifice, the greater the joy. Now there's a portion of all of us that knows and recognizes and understands that. And if you've ever loved someone really, really deeply, and you've ever saved and saved and saved and saved in order to buy them something that you knew they really wanted, I can tell you this, the longer that you've saved and the more lattes you've gone without to contribute to that fund, the greater the joy when you're actually able to give it. And God wants us to experience that wonderful joy of generosity. Paul wrote to the people in Corinth and says, I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, what God in his kindness has done through the churches in Macedonia. Now they are being tested by many troubles and they are very poor. Okay, with, are you with me? Financial waters high or low there? Really low, okay? He goes on to say, but they are also filled with what? Abundant joy, which has overflowed in what? Wow. God wants us to know, I don't care how poor we are, I don't care how low the financial waters are, there's an opportunity for us to experience the joy of generosity. And God doesn't want us to miss out on that. Now take a look at this. One man gives freely, yet gains even more. 
Another withholds unduly and comes to poverty. A generous man will prosper. He who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. God doesn't want us to miss out on that. Let me give you number four. Because it demonstrates our trustworthiness. If there's anything that we want in life, you know what it is? I can tell you in one word. More. Isn't that true? Of course it is. How about a grandson? Somebody asked me this great story because he had no idea of what you and I know. But Theo is missing his teeth up here. And somebody quite innocently asked him the other day, Theo, what do you want for Christmas? You know what he said? My two front teeth. He had no idea somebody wrote a song about that. You know what Theo really wants? More teeth. That's how life is. Whatever it is we have, unfortunately, we have that disease of the desire for more. But you know something? God says that there's a desire He has to be able to bless you and me with more than we currently have. But before He can do that, we have to prove our trustworthiness. Now, you do that with your kids all the time. When they want the freedom to stay up later at night, what do you require of them? That they prove trustworthy in being able to do that. So you say, okay, we're going to run an experiment. Instead of going to bed at 8 o'clock tonight, I'll let you go to bed at 9 o'clock. But tomorrow morning, what? You better wake up and you better not wake up grumpy. Or you're going back to bed at 8 o'clock. Yeah, we do that all the time. God does that with His kids. Notice what the Bible says. Jesus said, whoever can be trusted with very little, that's when the financial waters are low. God says, if, if, if you can be trusted with very little, well, then you can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So, if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, put a circle around the words worldly wealth, put an arrow to the margin, and just write money and things. If you can't be trusted with those things, who will trust you with true riches? If you've not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? I don't have time to get into that, but that's a fascinating study, and it's a fascinating application. Someone else's property, who is that? That's God's. Whoever, who's ever going to give you property of your own? Now, no one, no servant can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and... There it is. So that's one of the reasons God says, if you will take the time to slice out that 10% and give it to me, it's the first step in demonstrating that you're trustworthy and that I can bless you with more because at least I know you're putting me first. If you give me your leftovers, God says, I'd love to give you more, but you haven't even handled the pie that I've given you correctly. Why should I give you another pie? Let's go on to number five. Because it activates His promise to provide our needs. You know, it's like this. God says, I'll tell you what. If you trust, if you trust me, and if you will say, God, I believe that 90% with your blessing 
is going to do far more in my life than 100% without your blessing or 100% on my own, then God says, here's the deal. No matter what comes your way in life, no matter how low the stock market sinks, no matter how shallow the financial waters get, God says, I will make sure you have everything you need. It's on me from that point on. On the other hand, if we say to God, I don't really trust you like that. So I'll tell you what, I'm going to do my own thing with my finances and I'll, I'll spend it the way I think it should be spent. And I'll give you some because obviously, God, I appreciate you and I love you and so forth. But boy, 10%, that's, that's a chunk right there. So I, I, I'll give you less and then God says, okay, now you're on your own. But if you'll trust me, okay, and you give me that 10%, it's on me. And I'll make sure you have whatever you need. Notice what the Bible says here in Malachi. You have cheated me, God says, in tithes and offerings. You're under a curse, for the whole nation has been cheating me. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, so there'll be food enough in my temple. Then notice what he says. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great, you won't have room to take it in. So try it. Put me to the test. This is God saying, this is not the pastor. This is God saying it. Put, put me to the test. Your crops will be abundant, for I will guard them from insects and disease. Your grapes will not fall from the vine because they, be, before they are ripe, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for your land will be such a delight, says the Lord of heaven's armies. So five very simple reasons I realize for many of you, I know many of you are new to the life, and many of you are just at the beginning of your spiritual journey, and for many of you, that's your first exposure to what God says, how you start to organize your finances. It'll take you a while to grow into that and let that settle into your life. So I'm not expecting you to, you know, I, 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 we're certainly not going to bar the doors and say 10% or you can't get out, all right? That's not how that works. But I want to challenge you with that, and not me, I really want I want you to let God challenge you with that because I can tell you in my life, that's always been true. I was so blessed to have parents who taught me from the time I was a tiny little kid. And you might think that this is, oh my goodness, but you know, I, that's a heavy deal to lay on a kid. No. When I was a small kid and somebody would come up and give me a dime, and I go running to my dad. Oh, look what they gave me. By the way, back in those days, you could buy a candy bar for a nickel. So that was dead. You know, that's pretty good stuff, you know. That's close to two bucks now, right? They give me a dime. I'd come to my dad. You know what my dad would say? Now, Ron, how much of that belongs to God? You know, before I went to school, I could figure the tithe on a dime. I knew one penny went to God. And you know how excited I was? I would bring that to my dad, and my dad would give me a nickel and five pennies. And I went to churches where there was no children's ministry during the service. So I sat out there, but you know the one thing I couldn't wait for? The offering. Of course. Because I got to put in my tithe when everybody else was putting in their tithe. And of course, as a kid, you thought your tithe it's pretty much like everybody else's, right? Of course. It was big stuff. Yeah. And made a promise to God early in life. 
And by God's grace, Monica and I have always lived with that promise. And you know something? God has always taken care of us. Always. Because he said, if you honor me with the tithe, the rest is on you. I want to give you two more principles. And they're both important. Very, very important. In fact, I want you to think of these principles as kind of a three-legged stool. Okay? And the great thing about a three-legged stool is it stands on its own, but if you lose any one of the legs, what happens? Down she goes, right? And so here's the second leg of this stool. We need to honor our families by doing these things, by budgeting, saving, and investing consistently. Now, I can't fully break this out, but I'm so glad that we have a financial seminar this afternoon. And I know many of you have run into several of you already that are staying for the financial seminar where, that, where this is all going to be broken out. I'm just going to lay the basic foundational principle. But I can tell you this, if you don't budget and you don't save and you don't invest consistently, you're not honoring your family. Because, well, that's what God says to do. And besides that, it provides for the security of your family. Now, you know, right away, I want to deal with a couple of delusions, okay? Delusion number one is this. Pastor, I would love to do that. In fact, if I could just get an infusion of about $15,000 of cash today, and I could pay off my credit card debts, and I could pay off this debt, then I could get myself into a financially manageable situation and I could do this stuff you're talking about. But until I get that single infusion of a significant amount of cash, I I just can't ever get ahead. I know many of us think that way. Okay? But the truth is, that wouldn't work. You know why I know it wouldn't work? I am mercifully not going to ask for a show of hands of how many of you have refied your house in the last five to ten years and you got that single infusion of significant cash. I, it's quiet in here, isn't it? I know many of us have read the stories of people who have won the lottery and they thought it was the day that their life began only to find out it was the day that their life changed so badly that they hated it from that day forward. They got this single infusion of a huge amount of cash. It it didn't solve their problems. Now, long before the lottery was invented and long before refis were invented, I want you to read what God says in His Word. Money that comes easily. What's the next two words? Oh. However, money that is gathered little by little, what happens to it? Would you read that passage out loud with me, please? I think you're struggling with believing it. All right, let's read it together. Money that comes easily disappears quickly, but money that is gathered little by little will grow. So that's principle number two, and that's what I want you to know. Now, I want to give you a second uh, kind of sub-point of principle number two. I need a financial plan that includes tithing, budgeted living expenses, 
saving, investing, and estate planning. Okay? Now, obviously, for the sake of time, I can't go into all of that this morning. But I can tell you what. Virtually all of that is going to be touched on or laid out in great detail this afternoon at the financial seminar. And even if you haven't signed up for it, you can stay for it. Okay? And it won't be the last one that we put on. Uh, We don't put it on primarily so you give to the church. That's not what that's about. We put it on because we want you to know how to navigate the financial channel of life and not be desperate all the time. We want you to live in financial freedom. So we want to teach you how to do that. Let me give you principle number three. I need to focus on enjoying what I already have. Would you read that out loud with me, please? Let's read it together. Ready? Focus on enjoying what you already have. I don't know anything that's less American than that. Do you? I think we invented the phrase, the grass is always greener on the... Have you ever noticed that other people's golf clubs hit the ball better than yours? Especially if they're newer. In other people's cars, they just look and drive better than yours. Especially if they're newer. Ah, We struggle with this. We really do. Now, I want to read you a passage. Whoever loves money never has money enough. And whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with his income. I didn't write that. I just read it, okay? God wrote it, and He knows your heart, and He knows my heart. And He said, guys, that's how you work. I wired you up. I know how you work. And that's the deal. That's why the author of the book of Hebrews says, keep your lives free from the love of money and be satisfied with what you have. For God has said, I will never leave you and I will never abandon you. As we close, I want to talk with you just for just a minute about this concept of of contentment. Because what drives most of us into financial bondage is a lack of contentment. You see, every day, every morning you get up, you have the opportunity to think about a number of different lists. Okay? And I'm only going to take one of those lists this morning. But if I broke out life for you, you would see that there are a number of competing lists in your life. For the sake of what we're talking about this morning, every morning you get up, you have the opportunity to focus on enjoying what you already have or the pursuit of what you don't have. And you are going to think about one or the other during the day. Now, kind of the craziness of it is, Many of us get up in the morning and we think that if I focus on how wonderful it would be to have something else, I can still be content with what I have. That's just never going to happen. And the pastor will preach a sermon on contentment and so we think, okay, I need to learn how to be satisfied with what I have. You know what I've learned in my own life? I can never be satisfied with what I have 
until I learn to enjoy what I have. Now that's a big challenge for most of us. Because virtually everything in our culture is geared to get us to be dissatisfied with what we have and not to enjoy it. So I just, as your friend, as a fellow Christian, as a fellow human being, I want to throw out that challenge. This week, run a test. With everything in your life, whether it's the bed that you sleep in, the mattress you sleep on, the TV that you watch, the car that you ride in, I want you just to ask yourself this question. What could I do with this today that I could really enjoy? How can I enjoy this? And if you and I will begin to focus on actually enjoying what we have, you'll be amazed at how much more satisfied we are with it and how much less then we're caught up in the pursuit and the desire of all the things that other people have that we don't have. That's the third leg of the stool, by the way. And if you let that leg go, the other two won't stand on their own. It takes all three. Now I want you to pray with me. Father, well, what a challenging, challenging topic. And how crazy is it, God, that in this country where so many of us are in the top 1% of the incomes in the world that most of us feel challenged financially. We wouldn't go so far as to say we're poor because we kind of know better than that, but we're challenged financially and we struggle day after day with the sense and the feeling that it's not enough and if we just had more, we could be happier and more content. So God, would you just enable us today, would you give us the grace to be able to hear what you're saying so that we could take that first step toward financial freedom and that is to get out of the financial rat race of continually chasing after more. Father, thank you for speaking to us so clearly in your word. Thank you for your grace that forgives us when we lose track of where we're supposed to be going and what we're supposed to be doing. And Father, we just thank you that you love us in spite of how often we fail. We bless you. Thank you for giving to us so generously. Would you make your word powerful in our lives, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information, at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.